Um, as we get started this morning, uh, let's start with a word of prayer and um, we'll dive into God's word. Dearly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the Lord's day. We thank you for a day of rest, a day to be rejuvenated, a day to remember the, the works of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Father God, in the midst of this weekend between now and the 30th, we just want to remember all of our fallen heroes, all of our brothers and sisters who laid their life down on the line. Uh, we just pause to reflect of our fellow residents at Baltimore who've gone before us. In times of difficulty, separation, times of loneliness and restraint, uh, we, we have very little to hope for sometimes. And today, Lord God, we just ask that you are our hope, that we put our trust in you, that you are the God of comfort, that you are the God of love, that you're the God of joy. And we just pray in the name of Jesus that you go before us, that you care for us, that you make a way. Father God, through this word and this time together, Lord, I just pray a blessing that flows from within and it flows out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, today we are in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're cruising right along. We've now transitioned from 3 into 4. And in this little chapter, it's some powerful, powerful stuff. Um, and, it, and it's definitely something in this season that might be uh, worth noting. So I'm going to read verse 1 through 7. And it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For this, for the time that is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they were, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So this is, a, um, I think, a very timely message when it comes to suffering. Um, I think we, in different ways, have been suffering. I think we have uh, are experiencing things, loneliness, isolation, uh, uncertainty, uncomfortableness. Uh, things have changed in ways that we probably didn't like. Uh, things have been stripped from us that that we took for liberties. You know, the when and where we ate food, or how we got dressed, or what we did during the day, who we got to see—all these things that were normal, regular, daily activities have now found themselves separated from us. So, as it says, as Christ suffered in the flesh, 
we too suffer in the flesh. Many commentators have chalked this suffering up to two different ways. One is that Christ has been tempted in every way. I, I think it's important for us to think that when Jesus was taken into the wilderness and all and actually all throughout his life, Jesus faced temptations to sin in different ways. And yet Christ never sinned. It's important to know that that it's not just that it's the fact the hardships of of sin, but it's the actually the power and the restraint involved when we are faced with constant temptation to never actually give into it. Uh, the the one main thing of why Jesus was able to do this was because his focus was always on the Father. And so for us, too, we should be encouraged to always be focused on Jesus. And that will keep us from sin. It will lead us out of temptation, as the Lord's Prayer leads to. And we know that Jesus, too, offered, suffered through the crucifixion process. The the Romans were masters of punishment. Uh, The whips and the spitting and the mocking and and the crown of thorns and carrying the beam for the cross to being nailed on the cross to his physical death was an excruciating process. And and so we, we look at both those physical things that Jesus suffered and we look to ourselves to, it says, arm yourselves. I, I know as, as military folk, we, we know what it means to be ready for battle. So the armament that we take up our, our rifle, we take up our gun, we take up our, 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 our bulletproof vest, we put on our boots, we take our gear, we, we ready ourselves for battle. And, and so since we're not necessarily in a physical battle today, we are always in some form of way of a spiritual battle. And the greatest thing that we have to battle the spiritual is our thinking. It is the way we, we prepare our hearts for battle allows us, enables us to prepare our minds for battle as well. That we will be have the fortitude and the readiness to go and, and do as Christ did. So with the same way of thinking. All right, and, and so that's basically, he said, if you are able to get to this level, you have ceased from sin. You have stopped sinning. And, and if we are willing to go through the suffering, and we, we even if we fall, we, we've ceased from sin. And I think sometimes there's a, a, some people could look at this and go, well, there's no way, there's no way I'm ever going to get to this level. I, I just want to tell you that I haven't gotten to that level. You know, I think the, the reality is as I was preparing and praying for this sermon and as I was, I was doing a prayer walk earlier uh, this afternoon, you know, the Bible says that leaders of the church are supposed to live above reproach. And as Christians, we're supposed to live above reproach. And, and I think we do and we should, uh, but, but it, we should never be viewed at as someone who's made it, someone who's arrived, someone who has it all together. You know, I, I've been struggling with doubt and fear and anxiety and worry and, and sorrows for, for the last several weeks because of just all that's going on. And there's just a bunch of uncertainty. And I, and I like control. I like to be in control. Uh, I might have a laissez-faire attitude about a lot of things, but 
But when, when things change, and things change that I don't like, it, it hurts, and then I get frustrated, and, and I, I internalize. I take it all in. Um, and, and that's just one of those things that, ways that we suffer. And I think that we rely on Christ, that I, I have to constantly be getting my mind to that point, saying, Jesus, help my thinking. Just just help my unbelief or my disbelief. Help my... Just help my train of thought. Help my heart that, that I can be of in good cheer. Why do we do this? Verse 2. As to live for the rest of the time. And P- Peter makes a comparison. Not for the flesh, but for the will of God. I, I think that's great encouragement that we link. That, that we're not just going through... Uh, sufferings for the sake of piety or the sake of of admiration, but we're doing it for the will of God. We're doing it for a greater purpose. We're doing it to serve the Lord. And and, and sometimes I, I think maybe for you, as it is for me, that we can go from time to time not knowing what God really wants of us. But Jesus made it very clear that that we are to love the Father, and we are to love one another. As Christ has loved us. And, and I think if we can just simply walk in an attitude of love, mercy, respect, and grace towards others, it would make a world of difference. You don't, you don't have, it's not about the, the physical nuts and bolts, but it's actually the big picture that Jesus wants us to focus on. And that's my heart for you, is that you and I will focus on the big picture. That we will look at the, the grand scheme that Jesus wants to not turn it to human passions but to follow the will will of God and and it's and it's going to do something and Peter lays this out in verse 3 for the time has passed he, basically he says you have sinned long enough all that you had done in your past is is enough you don't have to repeat that style of living anymore right as the gentiles and so there there's a clear division of two groups of peoples there's those who follow Jesus and those who are of the world and and to the Jews the gentiles were worldly people they were always people outside the camp and so there should be a division a separation of of us two and he lists a ways in which they they get into and and then I won't get into all the details of that but but you can see the text that that there's a way of of worldly living in verse 4, and that the way the Gentiles, and basically in verse 4, he says, they were surprised when you didn't join them. You know, at one point in time, you can imagine that, that Peter is writing to someone who used to go to these drinking parties, and now the following weekend, they said, you know what, I, I just don't do that anymore. And, and they just don't get it. They, they look at you, and they're honestly surprised. You, of all people. And I think that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, is the, the person who's the furthest from God who seems the least likely to become a Christian is often the one who does. Uh, last weekend, uh, I was able to preach a, a sermon to a, a, a local church, and 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 I, I taught from Amazing Grace. And and I know we all know the song. We we've, we've sung it a bunch, and and we love to sing it. But the story of John Newton is beautiful. John Newton was a slave trader. From a young child up well into his adulthood, he captured people, human beings, shoved them into ships, shipped them across the ocean, and then sold them on the market as if they were livestock. 
and and, and he, he came to a point where his life was at almost to an end. He was in this terrible storm at sea. And he was reading this book about Jesus, and and I don't even know how he came to this book or or what all happened. But in that moment, he realized that he was hopeless and helpless. And in that moment, he turned to God, and by God's grace, his amazing grace, he got through the storm. Some years later, he actually became a pastor. But John Newton, in all of his wickedness, in all the people who died at his hand, who who treated humanity as people different from him as subhuman, as wicked and as wretched and as debased as that way of thinking was, God's grace was able to redeem him. So that's our hope for you and me, is that unless you were worse than that slave trader named John Newton, Jesus can save you and forgive you of your sins as he has done me and millions and millions of others. Because that's how awesome and how great God's grace is through Jesus. And, and so the world would be surprised. The, 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 for John Newton, most of England was very surprised that he would pack out halls, not because he was probably the best preacher, but because they wanted to see this man who had a reputation as a slave trader, now preacher, and they wanted to see it for themselves. And, and so this is what... Peter points to is that they were surprised that you changed. But the the thing is, is that they malign you. And I, I don't think you and I use the word malign anymore. Uh, I, I can't think of the last time I wrote it in a sentence or said it out loud other than this text. But the Greek word here actually means blasphemy. Blasphemy is literally the word. So it's a, in, from, from Greek to English, we use the word blasphemy. So it's to speak lies of or speak against in a hateful way. So literally, people will speak in a derogatory term against us because of our now good works, right? And, and that's even, we, we see this in, in, in past chapters and we see this in other books that, that if you are um, back again in verse, chapter 2, verse 19, it says, For it is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. And then later again in verse, uh, where is where is it, um, fourteen, in chapter three says, "But even you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you should be blessed." And when we talked in detail what it meant to be blessed for righteousness' sake, so he's reinforcing this thing one more time that as we change, as our lives change, as we begin to be different, that people will speak ill of us, but it's okay because. See, that's what the, that, that but there, it's a, it's a turn of direction. Verse 5, it says, but they will give an account to him. Who's him? This is Jesus. Jesus sitting on the throne, the one who's ready to judge the living and the dead. I think in the King James, it would say the quick and the dead. Um, but this, they we will all give an account. And even those who saw our change will actually speak on the behalf of our testimony. That the guy that knew us in our wild, crazy days is going to stand before God and says, I knew him in his worst days. And it's because of you, Jesus, that he changed. Wouldn't that be amazing to be said of us today? That if, if we could actually be conscious today of what someone would speak of us based on how we have changed. That, that we have changed the way we think, that we change 
the way we live because of Christ within us. And that's, again, what we, we see in verse 6. And, and so now, Paul Peter has made these, these statements as encouragement for us, as a declaration for this next statement. That's what, for this, right? That's it. He's shifting his language in such a way that we would, for this reason, or therefore, this is why. We, we live in a world that sometimes a lot of things happen and we don't know why. We, 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 we go through a lot of things in life. Things change for reasons like we were talking at the beginning that so much of our around us changes and we don't know the reason why. We, 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 no one really explains to us what's going on. But right here in this verse, we know why one, the gospel is preached, right? It says, for this is why the gospel is preached, even those who are dead, right? So it's our living for Jesus that allows us to preach the gospel and for it so that, that those who are dead, those who are Gentiles, those who are far from God might live in the spirit, that they might come alive, that they might be born again. So we should never shy away from sharing the truth about Jesus because our message, our one opportunity might be the exact thing, the exact moment that someone near us, someone next to us needs to hear so that they can be alive in Jesus. I, I think that's even all the way back to the beginning and that, that would take us weeks, probably actually months since we actually first started First Peter in, in, in to the point in chapter 1 verse 3 says this is for we were born again to a living hope. The, the whole message of Peter's letter is that we can live together as a living hope. And then it says, and this, the end of all things is at hand. That, that's just the reality. Peter's not saying that we're going to die today or tomorrow or Jesus is coming back now. But, but there is an end at hand and therefore we should live in a way of self-control and a sober mind. Why? For the sake of our prayers. So here are six things that I got out of this passage. Number one, because Christ suffered and won, we have the necessary power and support to do the same. That because Christ suffered and won, that he, he physically died the death we deserved and was resurrected, he won. And because he won, we have the necessary power and support to do the same. Number two, when we change our thinking, better yet, when the Holy Spirit changes our thinking, we will live out the will of God. When we allow the Holy Spirit to change our thinking, we will live out the will of God. Number three, we leave, we leave our past life behind, even if we're ridiculed for it. I think this might be some of the one of the hardest parts. I, I don't know all your story. I I know some of you and I know some of your stories, but I don't know all of you and I don't know all your stories. But my guess is some of us live with a reasonable amount of regret. That that we've lived a life and there's things in our past that we really, really wish we didn't do. Or things that we really, really we said but we really, really didn't mean. 
that there always seems to be a skeleton in our closet or ghost under our bed or, or something that's lurking in the shadows coming to get us. I don't know about you, but, but that's never a good feeling to live with regret. But because Jesus won, we can leave our past behind. That, that our old sins, our old debts are forgiven. That we put our trust in him and he is faithful and just to forgive. Number four, because all will give an account to Jesus, the judge, the judge living in the dead, the quick and the dead. It is, we have to remember that, that there is a point coming where we will be given account for this life. That, that we will give an account for every minute of every day, every action, every thought, every attitude, every spoken word and every unspoken word we will give an account for. Now, that doesn't have to be scary. The fear's relieved, right? Back to Amazing Grace, right? It taught my heart to fear, but and my fear's relieved. That, that because of the grace of Christ, that we can be forgiven and that we do not have to fear this moment. I'm not looking, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not necessarily asking Jesus to recount all my life because I've got some stuff that I, I wish I didn't do and wish was behind well it is behind me but just was be totally forgotten but the bible does say that god will he will separate our our sins from us from the east and to the west so he will remember them no no more they will be blotted out so there's good hope there's absolutely hope number five this is why we preach the gospel so that all all the dead may live that 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 I'm alive because of what Jesus done. You're alive because of what Jesus did. We, we worship together. We worship the Lord Jesus because of what he's done in our lives. And we share that good news with others. That we proclaim Christ crucified and resurrected. This Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power. It's the power to set us free. To bring salvation. To bring us into righteousness. And number six, for the sake of our prayers, we live that God, um, to God. For the sake of our prayers, we live in ways that honor God. And that, 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 that as we commune with God, as we take time to talk with God, that our, our lives and our prayers are, are honored and answered, that we can pray for others who are suffering as I pray for you and you pray for me and we pray for people around this world. We we make our prayers known to God because we appeal to his better nature, to his merciful nature that he will do something. And I do believe he listens and I do believe he will. And, and that's just the encouragement that we get from this passage that I think one of the, the reasons why Paul lists the fruit of the spirit the way he does love joy peace right i think those are things that we all really like i think they're definitely important i think those are the things that are our first fruits like love but i think i wonder if if paul as he wrote self-control at the end he knew it was there because either it was one of the last fruits to come or one of the most difficult fruits to deal with being self-controlled is stubbing your toe on the end of your bed and not saying a bad word even though you want to 
having self-control is not eating that second piece of cake when you, you've already had two. Self-control is biting your tongue when someone speaks ill of you and you don't return evil for evil. Self-control is, is keeping your mind in order. To, to not allow yourself to get lost or go down a tangent or go down someplace it shouldn't. And, and thus, being self-controlled leads to sober-mindedness. That The idea that we can think clearly. That, that we think and see clearly of the things going on around us. That we don't get caught up in fear or anxiety or worry or doubt. And that way... Our prayers are, are pure and holy and good. And they align with the will of God. So let's pray. As we close. Dearly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is nourishment to our soul. Father God, we just pray for your grace. We pray that you pour out your mercies upon us. Lord God, we ask for your presence to be... Um, made manifest in Baltimore Lopez throughout the facility and room to room dining hall and physical therapy into all the offices but that the administration and the staff that they be blessed by your goodness the doctors and the nurses and activities Lord, that you be with them encourage them and lift them up Lord and for all the families and friends of our residents Lord, that you be with them as we cannot be physically near uh, Lord I, I just pray that even as we um come to a point where we honor uh, those who have fallen on Memorial Day, Lord, that you will give us comfort and peace. Father God, I just pray that you be with us to lead us and guide us, give us hope, and ultimately be with our residents, that you draw near to them as they are in this stage of life, Lord, that they can continue to honor you in all that they do, Lord, that you keep them tempered and self-controlled, filled with the Spirit, that their lives will be above reproach, that they will be blessed. Whatever was of their past, Lord, that it's washed, cleaned, and put away. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen.